This podcast's only purpose is for informational use. It is not a recommendation to buy or sell a security. Investing in the market is risky, and past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back to another episode of the Two Cents 20-Year-Old Podcast. Today's topic is a big one. Sparkling wine on the side. Welcome back to another episode of the Two Cents 20-Year-Old Podcast, the podcast where I give my two cents about the things that you should be thinking about when it comes to your money. I'm sure you've heard many things about the newest round of stimulus and how it had trouble passing recently. Well, here's everything that you need to know about the stimulus package. The newest stimulus package is valued at $908 billion, which includes newest round of stimulus checks, which the IRS and the U.S. Treasury will continue to be handing out through January 15th. How much we are getting is heavily dependent on Senate seats. President Trump, some Republicans, and House Democrats have tried to raise the payout to $2,000 checks for us, but Senator Mitch McConnell blocked the efforts and was quoted on the floor of the Senate saying, Quote, the bill has no realistic path to quickly pass the Senate. The Senate's not going to be bullied into rushing out more borrowed money into the hands of Democrats' rich friends who don't need the help. This is quite the take from Senator Mitch McConnell. Uh, This take led to his and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's house being vandalized and spray-painted with questions about the stimulus from angry Americans. It is unlikely that the stimulus checks will be increased to $2,000 considering the fact that the Georgia runoff votes could take weeks to count, which would decide which party gets the two Georgia Senate seats, which could in turn affect the stimulus. The only problem is the IRS cutoff is January 15th, so any deciding factor after that point would really only complicate and extend the difference of the increased payment being sent out. All in all, this political gridlock is only delaying people getting the support that they may need. Hopefully, everything gets sent out to the people who need it, and the gridlock stops. Uh, government contention has long affected normal people in America in situations like 2008 during the financial crash. And that is actually our topic for today. What happened in 2008? Have you heard people ever referencing 2008? Maybe your parents, maybe a teacher... For those that weren't aware at the time, 2008 came out of nowhere and absolutely destroyed everything normal people had spent their lives accumulating. Savings accounts, 401ks, investment accounts, jobs, college accounts for kids, having to foreclose on their home, everything. But for those in the financial sector who were more pessimistic than everyone else, this had been a bubble bubbling up for a long time. It all became stunningly obvious on September 15th, 2008, when Lehman Brothers, a global financial services firm, filed for bankruptcy. News outlets everywhere showed hundreds of employees walking out of their offices with boxes in hands and their heads down. When this hit, no one really understood why this had happened and what caused it. People like to coin the term blank is too big to fail when regarding stocks, cryptocurrency, real estate, whatever. This was an example and a reminder that nothing is forever and financial oversights and irresponsibility can lead to catastrophic downfalls. Lehman Brothers had been the fourth largest investment bank in the U.S. leading up to this declaration of bankruptcy, 
with 639 billion in assets under management and 600 and something billion in liabilities, which basically was, you know, they were the poster boy for subprime mortgage crisis. At the time before the crash, Americans had been marketed to that the quote, American dream was owning a house and the US government began heavily supporting the mortgage market. I mean, why wouldn't they? They had a product that people believed was necessary to live in a normal American life, and better yet, their customers would come to their banks to use their money to buy the houses because they couldn't actually afford to pay for it themselves. So basically, what was set up was a system of promised comfort, encouraging people to buy a house and use loaned money, and an ability to essentially convince the people that being trapped in this 30-year deal was only benefiting them. So this system had been implemented and continued to be used through 2001 to 2007 when home prices doubled. This steep increase was valued percentage-wise as the same increase through the nation's entire history. Home prices had never jumped like this before. People working within the mortgage business jumped on the opportunity and did their best to get as many Americans to finance a home through them using borrowed money. This process wasn't as exclusive as it is today. There were no processes looking through their income or their creditworthiness. People were given money and the home to which they had no idea whether or not they were going to be able to pay back. It is clear now that people didn't understand the implications of owning a home. Because previously, owning a home was reasonable and people looked at their parents. Dad with a factory or sales job in the 80s and mom maybe staying home or had a job as well. They got by just fine with their house payments and whatever other payments that they had. The only difference was... These house costs had never been higher, not to mention the other expenses, taxes, car payments, kids, cost of living. All of these were much higher in comparison to back in the day. People just didn't understand. While this was happening behind Americans' backs, they also were being left in the dark in another respect. Banks were selling these mortgages to home buyers and then turning around and selling the mortgage to an investment bank. The bank did this at a discount for a part of an MBS, aka a mortgage-backed security. Paul Verunach from Franklin Templeton describes mortgage-backed securities as, quote, MBSs are bonds that respect an ownership interest in a pool of residential mortgage loans. Homeowners make mortgage payments that are ultimately pooled each month and then, quote, passed through, end quote, to MBS holders in the form of principal and interest cash flows. MBS are classified as either agency MBS or non-agency MBS. Agency MBS are created by one of the three government-sponsored agencies, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, or Ginnie Mae. Non-agency MBS are issued by private entities such as financial institutions. So basically, these MBSs were reliant on three parties, the home buyer, the bank, and the investment bank. As long as the home buyer could continue to make payments, then both of the banks would get periodic payouts due to their investments in these securities, kind of like a bond. The only problem was, since people were buying big homes that they couldn't afford, they weren't able to make these payments. These borrowers are now, which is obviously far too late, considered subprime borrowers, basically meaning that they really aren't qualified to borrow this much money. These subprime borrowers defaulted on their loans and many tried to walk away from their mortgages by having the banks buy it back from them for a much cheaper price than they were actually worth. This in turn meant that the valuation of the MBSs on these mortgages were overvalued since the value of the homes themselves dropped significantly. The investment banks 
then tried to get rid of their MBS assets by selling them off, but they couldn't because no one was actually looking to buy. Basically, this whole event was a great example of every person involved being over-leveraged or having too much debt to their name that they couldn't actually pay back. So I think I'm going to stop this episode right here because I'm pretty sure um, well, I have a ton more to talk about on this subject, but I didn't want to uh, run this episode too, too long. But I will make a part two within the next couple of days and basically described, you know, I'll, I'll describe what happened, who got hurt, and how it got resolved. Um, I just kind of wanted to go over a little bit about, you know, what started it, who were the key players, which I'll also describe in the next episode more. So I talked about Lehman Brothers, but there are many different investment banks that were responsible for this too. And, um, you know, I also want to describe mortgage-backed securities, the reason why the financial crash actually happened. Uh, but thank you to everyone who has listened to not only this episode, but many of my other episodes that I've made. I would love if you could go onto Apple Podcasts and leave a review and maybe tell some friends about the podcast so that uh, I could actually grow this podcast. Uh, you know I'm out here hustling, but I would love if you could help. Again, I mentioned it last episode, but if you have a question you would like to get on a podcast episode, email me at 2 cents 20 year old pod at gmail.com. That's 2 cents 20 year old pod at gmail.com. I would love to hear from people who have questions and want to be a part of my podcast. It'd be awesome. I love answering questions. I just went on live today and people were asking me a bunch of questions. I was answering them. I was having conversations with some of them. It was, it was just so awesome. I, I love interacting with uh, the Two Cents 20-year-old community. Even though it's small, It uh, I still love everyone who you know wants to talk about finances because that's what I love talking about. Um, but yeah, sometimes I just can't reach all of you. So if you do have a specific question, I would love for you to either reach out to me on Twitter or TikTok at 2Cents20YearOld or you can send me an email at 2Cents20YearOldPod at gmail.com and I'll put on a podcast episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you all again very, 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 very soon.